Well, hello, Exponential family and friends. This is Myron Pierce, and I'm here with my good friend, Ralph Moore. And listen, uh, we are super pumped to be able – I know I'm personally pumped to be able to spend some time with my friend, my mentor, my spiritual father, Ralph Moore. And today uh, on Practical Multiplication, we're going to be talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, uh, and most importantly, near and dear to a practitioner's heart, such as my friend, Ralph Moore, uh, this is what we're going to do today. We're going to explore the whole idea behind what it means to be a level five church. There are some fears, some tensions, and there's even a roadmap to get to becoming level five. But before we get into that, uh, Ralph, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. It's really good to be here. Good to hang out with you. I can't wait till I can fly again. I'm begging for that vaccine. I want to come to Omaha. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was telling you, listen, every, every one of you who are tuning in or catching the replay, listen, uh, Omaha is where God lives. Uh, and God, God really cares about Ralph Moore. So he's going to clear up this COVID stuff so him and I can, can hang out. <laughs> so, hey, Ralph, t- won't you unpack for us, for the audience, when we say level five, talk to us about just in review, what level five is, give us some framework and some language to wrap our minds around our conversation today. Well, you know, I, I pastored a church for a long, long time. I actually pastored three churches, and in every one of them, we multiplied churches. And um, I, let me stop and say, we in the first one, we reproduced churches. This will be important later in the discussion. Later on, we begin to multiply churches. But you know, when we did this, it was the era of the big secret driven, you know, everything's going to try to be a multi, a mega church, even though most of them are not. And, um, I, and I always felt like I was paddling upstream. And then I met Todd Wilson, I got involved with Exponential. And, and I saw this incredible framework that explained my own life to me. Uh, so you, you start out at level one, and you got churches that are that are shrinking. And we have a lot of those, especially right now with COVID going on. And, uh, the subtraction is going on, and and then you come to level two, and and level two churches are a little bit better off than level one. They plateaued, and sometimes they plateau because they're comfortable. They really like being there. I I just like the the idea of the plateau because that's really kind of where I started. We started at level one. We took about a year or so. We got to level two, and and how I describe plateauing is. I'm getting paid every week and the and the mortgage is paid and the bills are paid and and and, and things are going really well and and sometimes it's easy just to sit there and be comfortable and you know that's not a really good thing and then you get to level 3 which are the the addition churches and I think of level 3 as where the focus is on addition the aspiration is always to add 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 we want to get bigger 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 in one location and then you have those churches who have graduated from level three to level four. And at level four, and, and this is pretty easy to do. If you're listening to this and, and you're thinking about this, um, you, you could pretty much run level four as, as a program of your church, a church planting arm of our church, if you would. And uh, you run some people through a little process and you multiply churches. The, the problem at level four is, uh, that there's a tendency for control. There's a tendency to want to clone yourself, uh, to want to make sure that everything looks like you do. You know, we're, we're really into the multi-site thing in America. I call that level 3.5 because you haven't really quite reproduced. They're not autonomous churches. Uh, they're really tied to your apron strength. 
But at level four, um, it's pretty easy to jump into level four. Uh, that's what we did in, in the very beginning. Level five is different. Level five is where you're willing to relinquish control, uh, relinquish. I mean, these people got your name on them and your history, and they may do something stupid. But, but what happens at level five is there's the freedom for the churches that you reproduce to reproduce themselves and those churches to reproduce themselves. And so there's multiplication. And when I saw this simple little graphic, it's like, oh, my gosh, I know who I am. I, I, I know where I belong. I'm a level five guy. And, uh, I, and, and here's how I got there. I came through level one where things were kind of hurting. We got to level two where we were pretty fat and happy. And then all of a sudden, some people wanted to start a church, and we jumped to level four. We never really hit a level three. We added, we grew. We we're 125 when we uh, first started that daughter church. In that congregation, we grew to about 23, 2,400 people in attendance. So addition did take place, but we jumped right into this, um, this level four thing in the first church that I pastored. Ralph, uh, one of the questions I have, even with this framework, uh, we've had conversation around level three, uh, which is adding. And at this level, we've talked about it being a magnet, a magnet that, um, in, 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 in my opinion, Ralph, it's, it's, it's been not just a magnet, it's become a standard. It's become the, this is, this is the gold standard of success in church. Why is it such a magnet? Why is it, why is it the standard, in, in, at least in America? You know, I, I was reading my Bible this morning, and, um, and, and, I, and I, was, I was thinking about, um, uh, I'm reading David and Goliath. And, you know, it's like I've only read that about 10,000 times. And, and uh, you know, here's Goliath. So here's the standards of the day. Big dude. We'll come out with against the big dude from your side, the big dude from my side. The guy's got um, uh, this incredible sword. He's got an armor bearer with a massive shield. You know, he, he's got the high tech of the day. This is the gold standard. And then here comes David, uh, little David, and he's got this force multiplier called a sling. And when Goliath sees him, he comes out and, and, and starts to, to, to laugh at him. You know, what are you bringing, stones? You're going to throw rocks at me? But, the, but, but, but he didn't understand that this sling was the force multiplier. It was, uh, he got a lesson in ballistics that day. And, and I think that we've been looking at Goliath as the magnet, as the gold standard. Uh, this is what we all strive to be. Yet only 10% of the churches in the United States have more than 2,000 people in membership, let alone attendance. And, and somehow that's really been a wrong thing. And so when, when you're hurting and you're subtracting or you're plateauing, there is this strong attraction that I want to get to level three. Then I'll be somebody. Then I'll be important. Then maybe I'll write some books and people will read my books or I get invited to go speak in other places. And it becomes a magnet. And then once you're there, it's a magnet that holds you there. It, it doesn't mm. release you to move forward to level four or level five, there's this strong pull of, of, of what I really have to call kind of selfishness in, in, in many ways. They are reading my books. I am getting invited to go speak. I am somebody. I feel really good about myself when I'm preaching to a large crowd. And it's really hard to let go of that and make the sacrifices um, that it takes. You know, again, 
you know, so for some of us, we're trying to wear Saul's armor and uh, we're not willing to go into battle with the tool. You know, to me, the force multiplier in the church is disciple making. Uh, I started out really young man uh, without a lot of talent. You know, I went to a Bible college and you could play a music instrument, you could sing, you could dance, you could do something. I couldn't do any of it. And so I just kind of um, decided I'm going to leverage myself and my gifts the best that I possibly can. And, and you know, force multiplier. We, we began to make disciples and disciples made churches and we were off to the races. You, I've, I've heard over the last couple of minutes, Ralph, you, you use this word, and I love it when I get to hang out with you, at least technologically over the last year. You start to use language, um, and here's one of the words you use, force multiplier. Why is that word important in this conversation? Well, again, what, what I was just talking about, le- leverage. You know, I, I'm, I'm one person. I have... Uh, the most people I've ever, right. ever pastored at one time, or maybe 2,500 people showing up in church, um, uh, you know, it's not going to get any bigger and better than that. But uh, the force multiplier, the, the making disciples and multiplying churches, we, we've turned into probably a quarter of a million people going to church on Sunday mornings. And so there's, there's power in that. Uh, my friends and I are starting a digi church online. Uh, we, we met this last Sunday and uh, we're intentionally going slow, but one of, what we're trying to do is figure out the, the base, you know, what are we going to do here? And one of the things we're going to ask of everybody that we invite is that you be willing when we hit 15 people, because uh, we want to keep it small, that, that, that somebody's going to break off and start a new group. And, and so again, there's that force multiplication going on. Okay, so you're you're a young guy. You're you're in your seventies, and uh, last week when we talked, and you said, "Hey, Meyer, I'm going to start a Digi Church." I chuckled because, like, this whole idea of multiplication and like level five, it's it's like who you are. Uh, there was somebody in the chat um, just now who said that he has, you know, former mega church pastors that that they make decisions based on what's best for them they've made decisions based on what's best for themselves versus the kingdom and yet i know all of us are itching to like have this whole multiplication dna level five all the stuff in us but there are so many like challenges to to for that to be like in our mindset so along the way in your journey here's my question in your journey of this whole level five hope chapel, like how did you get there in your mind? What, what did it take to just tell us about the story of getting to level five? Well, you know, when I was young and in, in the Bible college, I was kind of cocky and, and I, I, you know, I thought they didn't know anything <laughs> and I'm going to go read the book of Acts and really figure out. And so I I read it like five times a week for my whole second year of college. And I started out thinking, Jerusalem, I want to be a megachurch. How am I going to be a megachurch? And I ended up confused, uh, confused because it seemed to be all about dispersion of the church and, and planting churches. And, and, you know, and I understand maturity and immaturity. And, and to me, anything that's brand new is immature. And anything that's been around a while has matured somewhat. 
And so I started to realize that this whole megachurch idea, because I came from one as a kid, is kind of immaturity. And uh, our church, and, and this is where we get into these kind of problems. The church I grew up in was the largest church in the state of Oregon. It's in Portland. And um, in, within our denomination, they had a pretty much a rule. It wasn't written, but it was stated that nobody else is allowed to plant another church in the city limits of Portland, Oregon. Now, we got about 1,300 people coming on a big Sunday, and there's 350,000 people in Portland, Oregon at that time. Today, there's a million plus, but <laughs> there was something wrong with us. And I, I think that, you know, what the person in the chat room wrote is that oftentimes pastors are, I mean, and there's some legitimacy and some that's some things not so legitimate. You, you, you worry about making budget, you know, you worry about making payroll, but then you worry about your own paycheck and you worry about your own ego. And, and there's all these things that, that are the magnet. They're the things that tend to hold people back. And, and I think they, they don't appeal to the spiritual man. I think they, they appeal to what Paul calls the old man, the flesh. And, um, and, I, and, you know, my, and I'll get some people mad at me for saying this, but I think the flesh has dominated the church for the last four decades. And uh, we, we've appealed mm -hmm. to carnality more than we have appealed to anything that has anything with deep spiritual roots. Um, unpack that last part a little bit about um, carnality. What do you, what do you, how, how has that been fleshed out in, in the church in this generation last four decades? Well, in, in a couple different levels. One, I think at a leadership level of just everything's about me. I'm, I'm, I'm the center of this thing. You know, I know of a church uh, where, you know, they go to a conference and the pastor flies first class and everybody else is in the back of the bus and staff members tell you the guy doesn't even talk to me if it's outside a staff meeting. You, you won't even greet me in the hall. That's extreme. But but there there's a little bit of that in all of us that we've got to look at. But also, I, I, I was talking to a guy the other day yeah. uh, who, who had been a rock star. And he said, you know, I, I worked in two mega churches. And he goes, it was crazy. It was, it was just like just like when I was in rock and roll, you know, we'd have these meetings and and we'd we'd assess did do we dress right? How did we how do we get this song off the ground? Did the guy say the right things in between? And you know, how, how, what do we do for the you know to entertain the audience? And he goes, I worked on this big church, and and he goes, there were, there were, I'd go to staff meeting, and there was really nothing about Jesus in there, and and nothing about prayer or any of that. He goes, it was it was just like I was back in the rock and roll world, and so I left. Uh, he's out planting churches. He goes, I, I just couldn't stand to be in that world because it, it, it had nothing to do with anything spiritual. It was all how do we appeal to carnal desires in other people. And, and I, I think that that's what we've done in the church. We're here to entertain you, to make you feel good about yourself, to maybe uplift you spiritually. But we're, what we've missed out on is Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 4. In chapter 2, we're, we're called really to mobilize the church. You, you're God's created masterpiece to do good works. And, and we, we haven't asked that of people. Maybe volunteer in the church, but nothing in the marketplace, nothing in the neighborhood. And, and then we've, we've, uh, we've abandoned our role as equippers of the saints so that they'll do the work of the ministry. And we've become entertainers of the saints. And 
so they'll come and hear us and, and we'll become, you know, whatever. So. I love that. <laughs> we, we become entertainers versus equippers. We have a few questions. I love this. Uh, on the most, on our broadcast, we want to be highly interactive and uh, with, with you as you're watching, as you're, you're interacting with us. And here's a, here's a few questions, Ralph. Uh, Randy says, it's not the size of the church that matters. We agree with that, Randy. Randy's a part of Christ Community Church. And he says that they have planted two churches, adopted one church, has helped other churches be planted. And Randy wants to know, Ralph, what level church, based on that information, would you classify this church as? And, and why would you classify that church on that level? I, I, this is a guess. And, I, you know, I don't really have enough data to, to say, but um, everything that Randy just described seems to be one generation out from the hub church. Let's think of hub and spoke and mm. uh, the way the airlines think of hub and spoke, but you, but, but then you have these sort of sub hubs and until you're the churches that you've planted or adopted uh, become a hub in their self, then I think you've achieved level four and I think you've done a really good job of it. Uh, I, I, if we could get every church in America to get to where Randy's church is, uh, we just win the war, the culture war. Uh, we, we would have mm. changed the country. But uh, the challenge that I would throw back at, at Randy's pastor, uh, or if Randy is the pastor, the challenge that I would throw back is, uh, you, what's it going to take for you to have enough confidence in assuming you're discipling the leaders of those churches? There's something ongoing for them to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches and maybe to carry your name in all of them. So I'm trusting you enough that my reputation goes with you to people who I'm never going to meet in my life. That's really the level five world. Mm, that's really good. That's really good. Here, here's another question Dave is asking us. He says, Hey, what would you say to pastors of rural churches that believe in multiplication principles but only see examples from urban centers. How does this translate to areas of lower population? Um, you know, I, I became aware last January, I was in Texas and uh, with a group of, of pastors of, of churches in very small towns, and they've cracked the code. Um, you, you, usually it has something to do with distance, uh, one, one of the things that they said is that small towns tend to be monoethnic, so you're not going to reach uh, different people groups, but you are going to reach people from other small towns uh, some distance away that are driving to your church. And to begin to target those the people there who have leadership ability and go, how could we multiply churches from where we're at? Um, I, I think it's very doable. I, I think it's going to take some people like this who are thinking about this to uh, go ahead and experiment with it a little bit. And, um, you know, you can, you can read something in an urban context and then extrapolate from it and make it work where you live. Um, but then I think it's on you. And, and, and I'm going to get a little plug in. I, I've written a couple of books. I wrote a book called um, Your Book is Your Business Card, which is kind of a, a thing about taking, you know, your principles, your, your values, your vision, your mission, your assignment, and putting it in book form so that people who follow you can clearly understand what you're doing. And, um, and I, I wrote another book called You Could Write for Amazon. I, I think the guy in the, in the rural situation, in the world we live in now with technology, 
play with it, experiment, learn from it, and then write about it and publish it. And if all you ever do is publish a book and give it to 20 of your friends, you know, because you can put it on Amazon for free as a paperback book, doesn't cost you a nickel. And you just buy a bunch of them and give them to your friends. Just have influence. The whole world, I mean, this whole thing, just everything about making disciples and proclaiming the gospel is about the word influence. And uh, take advantage of whatever tools are there to influence people. And one of the things that I found is people, things that are written on paper uh, or on websites, but websites go away, paper, glass, uh, p- things that we write influence other people. And so my challenge to the rural guys uh, or the or the deep inner city guys, the guys like Myron, who are working in places that aren't the suburban, you know, easy to do, plenty of parking, lots of land neighborhoods. Um, it's harder for, for, for people in the inner city and it's harder for people in rural areas. But we need you to figure it out. And then we need you to write about it so that others figure it out. That's good. Uh, the questions are coming in, and we just want you to know, uh, even as you ask questions, hey, Sharon is Karen. We, Ralph and I, we want Practical Multiplication to be an interactive opportunity for us to engage in dialogue, but we cannot do it alone. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to copy and paste this URL, put it on your social platforms, and invite your friends, because one of the things that helps to ensure that us as leaders go further faster is we need to curate conversations among our peers. So as you share this broadcast, it does just that. Ralph, we have, we have another person who asked this. We've just started our first church in Hamburg, Germany. I was in Germany uh, a year ago, I think. I think I was in Germany. Were we in Germany? No, no, we were not in Germany. We were in England. Okay, we were in England. I, I, I had a stop over. I, had a, a, I stopped in Poland, though. Anyway. Well, you might have um, had a stop in, in, in uh, Germany because I, a lot of flights to Europe stop. do. I did stop in Ger- Germany because I, uh, I left the airport and got lost, but I, I got back. So I have, a, I have a history of getting lost in places I, that I'm not born. Anyway, um, but here's what he wants to know. Um, they want to they plan next steps to start more churches, Ralph. Uh, what could be a first step if a church has already been planted and they want to plant, it, plant another church? What's the next step? Brag about the first one. When we've planted the first daughter church uh, every Sunday, I, I've always kind of made it a habit to, you know, I, I memorized the gospel of Matthew once when I was a kid. And what's paramount in Matthew are parables. And so I, I decided I'm going to try and start every, every teaching on, on the weekend with a story. And so, the, you know, I, I, if, if somebody's doing something right, then brag about them, make a hero out of them, and, and you get more of it. It's kind of selfish in a way. But as soon as we planted the first church uh, every Sunday for weeks, we just got up and talked about what, about what a great job they were doing. And pretty soon there were other people going, hey, I want to do that. And I'd, I'd go from there. And I'd give a little advice, though. If you're, if you're planting a church um, anywhere, uh, but particularly a distance away where the person is feeling isolated. They're naturally going to feel isolated. Um, use Zoom. I mean, meet with them on a regular basis. Uh, try to bring them in if, if you can into your staff meeting by Zoom. You know, make a place for them at the table. But, but one bit of advice, you know, I had a friend from um, Washington State who uh, l- launched a church. He was, they, they were the hub church, and they launched a church in Harvard Square. 
uh, to reach Harvard University students. And uh, the pastor and then the, 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 the church planter came to meet with me. And they go, what, what, what can I give to this guy who's planting this church? What's the most important thing that I can give to him? And I go, you. You know, and, and that's really what I'm saying here, even if it's by Zoom or whatever. But what I told that guy is go, go to Massachusetts and walk the turf. Just, just walk the neighborhood with the church planter and let him tell you all the problems he's got with landlords and city rules and people who have joined up and then kind of turned against them. Because <clears throat> those kind of things happen. And, uh, you know, just, just go feel what they're feeling, learn what they're learning. We've started a bunch of churches in Asia, but particularly in Japan. And so I, I've made it my business. Anytime I'm anywhere in Asia, I stop in Tokyo and, and Osaka Kobe, so two cities. And um, sometimes I'm on my way to Myanmar and I stop in Tokyo. And on my way back from Myanmar, I stop in Osaka. But I, I, I've, I've learned to, that just spending time together is, is key. And then talking about it in church and somebody else is going to get the idea. So let me, let me recap what Ralph just said, because that's why I love the beauty of, you know, I talk a lot about diversity and not just ethnic diversity, not just socioeconomic diversity, uh, but generational. Because, you know, I get on the horn with um, Ralph. I talked to him last week and said, Hey man, I need to spend some time with you kind of process even what I'm going through as a church planter right here in the inner city. There's something beautiful about the generations um, coming together to dialogue about matters of level five. And so if you're wondering, you know, how do I take the next step? Boast and brag with humility. Those two things don't even go together, but in this context it does about what you have already done. And the beauty of that is this. Desire starts to take place in the heart of your people. All of a sudden, people start to believe, wow, we already did this once. We can do this again. And the moment that your congregation begins using the word we, you got them. Another thing that Ralph said is, you have to begin to identify, and I love what um, um, Ferguson talks about with the Hero Maker book, and we're going to get to that in a couple broadcasts later. But you have to begin to see in other people what they don't see in themselves for the next season of, of the life of your church outside of your first generation church. And as you start to identify heroes and potential church planters, the best gift you can give is yourself. And the reason why I love what Ralph said, Ralph is like not high program, but high person, high relationship. You need to give your, give the best of you to the best of those who, who are already on your bench. And one of the things that I learned, you know, and, and depending on scale uh, of your church, but in my context, I've learned that me giving my best, man, I only give my best to about one person. When I'm thinking about church planting, I'm going to pour my all into that one person. Now, that may be slower. That may take longer. But the reality is that, you know, I was, I was with one of my, I was with our church planting resident today. We had lunch. And uh, he was telling me about this guy he's discipling. It's so amazing 
to hear what he's talking about when he's talking about these conversations. And, I, and as I listen to this guy I'm, I'm, I'm mentoring and coaching, he's starting to pick up what I've been putting down. He's starting to drink the Kool-Aid of disciple making. He started to, and it's like, when you talk about readiness and what is it that we're supposed to be doing as we pour our life into one or two at maybe at the max, even three, all of a sudden you start to see multiplication. One person asked this, Ralph, they said, Hey, um, you know, they think they're in between two or three in terms of what level they're on. But what key ways does this person need to lead? So I think this person may be asking, hey, we may be between a two or a three. Walk us through each level and maybe one to two things that we can do wherever, whatever level we're on to get to the next. So if we're level one, what can we do to get to level two and so on? I think that'd be helpful for our audience. Well, if, if you're at level one, I think that the well, I think the key at every level really is making disciples. But but if you're at level one, you're probably feeling a little bit lonesome, uh, a little bit defeated, a little discouraged. Uh, what you need to do is is pick up and and I I'm I'm a little different than Myron. I try to never uh, disciple anybody one on one. I I do it, but I try not to do it. I I just feel it's a better use of my time to try to uh, you know pick up. Uh, Try two people at least and uh, three to seven. I max out at seven unless it's a church leadership team. And so uh, begin to get some allies at level one. And you probably will just naturally find your way to level two. And then, you know, if you are at level two, it's not a bad idea to take a breather there. You know, it's it's a kind of a good thing to get a regular paycheck and and, uh, get a little bit of money in the bank and get ready to get going there. I, I'd say beware of level three. Now, we, I've, I think you have to add in order to multiply. So addition has always been on the plate for us, but I don't want to camp out there. And that's, that's the danger of level three. It's, it's, the, it's the danger at level two. You can just get comfortable. You know, a guy told me once that 350 is the best size of church in America because they treat the pastor better than, you know, you get you've probably earn more money at, at 350 than you do if you're pastor in a church of 700 because you got less bills. But you you can camp out anywhere, but you got to add people if you if you want to multiply because you got to keep sending people out the door. And so I think that the the idea of kind of taking addition as a given and swinging from level two to level four is, is really important. But again, I'm going to just keep coming back to it's making disciples. You know, I can't tell you how many times I would, I would, I'm just guessing, but I'm saying two thirds of the people that we ever sent out to pastor churches, it was me going to them with the ICNU conversation you know, you're, you're capable. I'm watching this. I'm seeing people follow you. Why don't you think about this? And I, you know, and I've never, I don't want to be the Holy Spirit in anybody's life, but I will just go, you know what, you, why don't you take some time and pray about this and then see what happens. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so again, it's having that relationship and making disciples and then um, getting to level five is a little bit different in that, uh, you, 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 at some point, lose that discipling relationship with those people because they're going to be so busy 
with their disciples, particularly when they start planting churches, that, uh, you, you know, you, you're going to have to shift around. And that's never been comfortable for me. I, you know, I, I still wake up sometimes in the morning uh, having regret over somebody who I used to be very close friends with, and we don't even see each other anymore, and or it's a once-a-year deal, whatever. Um, but but again, to me, the, the force multiplier here uh, is, is making disciples, and it's making disciples at every, every level that really seems to count. Yeah, and, and even for, for me, let, me, let me clarify a little bit. We, in terms of the next church that we're personally planting, I've, I spend my time with one church planting resident, right? But I have a, a group of guys that I personally um, disciple, you know, every single week. And then every month, what, what the rhythm for us is then I spend like an hour, hour and a half with our church planters that have already planted. And the reason why we do that is because it instills uh, rhythms in my life. One of the things that I was in California with Ralph and he invited me, um, Exponential has a, a learning cohort, which we would uh, encourage you to be a part of. If you're thinking about planting a church or you have somebody in your church that has um, the potential to, to plant churches, uh, our multipliers learning cohort uh, could be a fabulous way for you to um, take the next step. But I was, I was uh, in California with the guys and, and I was, you know, doing a breakout and we were talking about sermon prep. Now this is a great conversation in the area of level three, because um, typically we spend hours and hours preparing sermons as leaders. And again, I'm not, anti-sermon, I'm not anti-preaching, but I think whatever we prioritize, we spend time on the most. And so I told these guys, I said, hey, listen, you know, you can judge me if you want it. If you're watching, judge me if you want. <laughs> but I, only, I will only spend one hour. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm busy living. I'm busy, I'm busy leading. I'm busy practicing the life of a disciple and the sermon is the overflow of that, you know, and, and, and as I'm living in, you know, for example, right now, I'm personally living in John 15 because I'm living in John 15. I'm preaching from John 15 because those are the things that God is doing in my life. Now, the reason why I've chosen to limit my sermon prep to one hour is because I need that other time to make disciples. <laughs> like, like, I need that other time to invest in other people, relationships, because if I don't, five years down the line, we're, we're going to be at level three and end up going back, end up going, you know, degressing versus progressing. Ralph, what are some fears that are very real when it comes to this whole level five thing? Can we just speak to the fear of level five um, and the detriment to not becoming level five? Well, uh, before we get there, let, let's go back to, I want to talk about sermon. I mean, you, you really hit on something that's important. <laughs> to me. So I, mean, okay. I, have a, I have a question for our listeners. 
When do you think the Apostle Paul ever spent 20 to 24 hours preparing a sermon? I mean, that's just plain nuts. And yet, you know, as I was coming up, and there's a lot of guys I talk to today that, they, you know, 24 hours a week, I'm in my study, I'm alone, I'm isolated, three full days. And, and you know, and, and I wonder how much of that time is spent trying to download hip, cool videos from the internet and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I would give myself three hours max. And I would, here's how I did it. I'd, because I was not a preacher, I was a teacher. And I want to make it funny. Other people would call me a preacher. I call me a teacher because of, of Ephesians 4. And so I'm, I'm just kind of working my way through the Bible. And I'll sit there. I'll, I'll get on the floor with, with a yellow pad in my Bible. And I'll just read the chapter over and over and over and over. And as thoughts come to me, I scribble them on the yellow pad. And then I write an outline. And then I print the outline out and... If I'm in trouble, I'll go look in a commentary or look at something on the internet. Uh, if I need a little bit of history, now with the internet, it's a lot easier than it was with books. Um, and, and then I'm going to link that to what we're doing in the home groups. And uh, and so there's this continuum, and, and it gets driven into the hearts of the people. And I think that, that you know, like right now, I'm making my home this last week in Isaiah 55. I'm, I'm reading First Samuel right now. And I just camped out on Isaiah 55. And I'm, I'm looking at the spiritual deficits in my own life. And if I was preaching, uh, I'd be maybe preaching out of, you know, Acts chapter 12 or something. But Isaiah 55 would leak in because it's, it's where I'm living my life. But, you know, as we, as we get into um, talking about fears and tensions and uh, some of these things, I, I think that... Um, it, it comes back to uh, Saul and, and Goliath, uh, and I want to want to talk about that just a little bit. You know, Saul Saul is the biggest guy in Israel, head and shoulders above everybody, and uh, that wasn't the name of a shampoo in those days. And he he was being challenged by the biggest guy and from the Philistines, <laughs> and he was scared, and he had you know all this armor. <laughs> And uh, helmet and sword and armor bearer and all those things are mentioned in the Bible, but he was he was in fear, and uh, and when David was ready to go out with his with his bag of rocks and his sling, uh, Saul was freaking out for David, and he was he was wanting to put armor on him, and I think there's this there's this there's this fear. We've we've looked at the uh, particularly the mega church as the model. This is. This is what we've identified as success. This is the scorecard, and it's the wrong scorecard. Um, how, how many people your life has touched with the gospel is the right scorecard. How many people put their bottom in a chair in your church on Sunday is the wrong scorecard. And so, uh, again, I think we're looking at things like uh, peer influence. I'm, I'm afraid uh, people won't respect me. Or I'm afraid they won't respect me as much. Or finances are hugely important here. I, I'm afraid that we won't be able to make payroll or we won't be able to make budget. Or I'm afraid that if I send this worship leader out with this church planter, uh, people are not going to come to our church anymore. In fact, they might all go to his church. And there's just all of these different kinds of fears that that, that wrap themselves up. And, and, um, and then we kind of get into... Um, into tensions, and, and there's this, this this tension that 
that I see that once we get going and we actually start to approximate level four or level five, that we start to get tempted to play the Pope. Um, you know, there's, there's all this mumble jumble of things that, 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 that work against us uh, moving to level four and level five. One, one of the things is, what are the pastors going to think of me? You know, the, my, my friends that I went to seminary with will respect mm-hmm. me because of this many hundred people coming to church every week. Uh, if I take the risk here, I might get less of that. Those things are, are, are real, they're important, but I think they're things we have to deal with. You know, Ralph, um, I've been attending Exponential now, I don't, I don't know, maybe since I got out of prison, like back in 2008, 2009, I believe. Um, you know, and a couple of years ago is when I met you. I think, I think we've been knowing each other for maybe three years now. And um, we were walking down the hallway, my, me and my boys were walking down the hallway. And, uh, and we ran into you, right? Now, what I didn't know was one of the first churches I planted, or actually the second church I planted in Colorado Springs, the prep or the education I was getting in church planting was from a book that little beknownst to me that you had written, that you had written it was a red car on the front of yep. the book. So that was one of the first books I read on church planting. So anyway, I'm, I'm fast forward to the time I meet you. We're walking down the hallway and you stop us and you're like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And I'm and I'm in my mind, like I'm super I'm like fanboy, you know, like like literal fanboy. And what blew me away was this. You said. Hey, let's go sit down and let's talk about this a little bit more. Let's talk about that's when the whole idea of microchurch and we're talking about that. And one, the reason why I'm bringing that up is this, is you, you talked about like how in some of our churches, the lead pastor won't even talk to, you know, their staff. And there's this kind of elitism um, that happens, which is really fueled by fear. But you really... You read, I don't even think I told you this, but like you dispelled a lot of fears that I had about, you know, when you go to a big conference like Exponential and it, it's, it, it's, it's easy to buy into on demand. And one of the things that I, I learned from you, man, within, within that hour was number one, we're all on the same team, not playing for the name on the back, but the name on the front. And from there, and the reason why I'm sharing this, because this is really a, this is really a, sometimes we have to identify what are the fears we're having when it comes to becoming level five. And I think Ralph, one of the big like things that was hindering me was my philosophy of, you know, hierarchy. <laughs> and and how hierarchy could actually work against us getting to level five. And as we started this relationship, I still remember like yesterday, we would meet on Zoom like every single week up to six, seven weeks. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to be challenged by things that you would say, such as the way you prepare a sermon or the way that you teach and how you would say things like, hey, I just teach from the Bible and, you know, I've made these many disciples. And all of a sudden, 
my biases started to be exposed when it came to like even stuff like the scorecard. You know, like things that we're we we were measuring as a church back, even back then. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Jim Jim here says Jim Jim says you guys seem you guys seem like you'd be very good communicators, whether one or three hours. If I did want to accomplish in your sermons, and who is your main audience? The seeker, the long-term Christian, both, or etc. Well, for me, the main audience has always been the the Christians, because I'm I'm there to equip them to go and reach other people. And for us, evangelism is friendship evangelism. People. And, 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 you know, but we're in, a, we're in a culture right now where, where the culture doesn't like Christianity and the culture thinks the church is meaningless, but the culture will never be able to stop friendship from happening. And so I'm, I'm there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And clearly, if I read the book of Acts, right, in the second chapter, ministry happens among the neighbors. And so we're, we're not we're not here to get you saved. You know, I have this uh, illustration a guy gave me hundred years ago called, called uh, uh, Fortress Field Force. Uh, some churches are seeing themselves as a fortress. It's like right now in the political climate, we want to get back in the building and feel safe from all the chaos in our country. Um, not good. Uh, mission field. This is a seeker-driven church. The church is a mission field. Evangelism is inviting people to come to church to hear our pastor talk. Um, that's that doesn't work well because it results in weak Christians, salt with no saltiness. But if you if you want the church to be a force in the community, then you need to be there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry because they are the force. And and we go from there. So, you know, I, I want to do the best job communicating that I can. I want to be fun. I want to be funny. I want to be informative. I read far more history books than I do any other kind of books. So I'm bringing all that in. So the people actually think I'm pretty smart because I know uh, about how the world works and how it has worked. But um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And that's, we're never going to get to level four or five if we don't do that well. I love Jim's question. He says, you know, what's, what's the goal of your sermon? And, that's a that's a good question for all of us watching now, right now, who's on and maybe who who catching the replay. What's the goal of your of your sermon every Sunday? What's the goal of I think that's a good question that we can ask at every level we are when it comes to one, two, three, four, five. Like what are we shooting at? What are we aiming at? Um and and again, I have been challenged by you because um, it's easy to fall into the stream of making the goal. Again, I want to be a good steward of the gift God has given me, but I have been guilty of the goal of my sermon being to inspire people. I, I want to walk away feeling good, like, oh, pastor, that was a really good sermon. Oh, yeah. and, and And I could... And, 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 and I could and I could say I can say, oh, I want the goal to be transformation. Well, let's be honest. One 20 minute sermon 
is not going to transform anybody. But if I use that 20 to 30 minutes to equip and then they go and do what I equip them to do via communication, then they are going to experience transformation. And then we can have stories to tell that will reinforce where we want to go, which is level five. Yeah. You know, let's, let's talk about the great commission for just a little bit. Uh, I think okay. that, that we got to see the great commission in terms of Jesus not saying, make a few disciples. And when he says disciple nations, he's not saying make a few disciples in, in all the nations. What he's really saying is disciple nations. And in, in, in other words, the goal of the great commission is world domination. You know, right mm-hmm. now, uh, a little over a third of the world worship Jesus, or at least call him their savior. And a little less than a third of the world are Muslims. And uh, it's, it looks like the Muslims are gaining on us. But a third of the world still isn't the Great Commission. We didn't get the job done yet. We got a long ways to go. And, and so if, if my job is to fill a building, well, that's pretty puny compared to Jesus challenging me to, to, to change whole nations. If, if my job is to have 10,000 people in church, so I become important, that's just small potatoes compared to what Jesus is talking about here. And, you know, I, I think that every pastor needs to look at the Great Commission redefined in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, you know, this helped me a lot when I was a young pastor and I was struggling with, you know, a sense of <laughs> I got to go for the whole apple here. I got to get the world. And I, I began to look at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I was in a place called Manhattan Beach, California. It was in a region called South Bay. Uh, I, there, there was the state of California. There was, you know, some other nation somewhere. Uh, we were going to Mexico at that time. So I could go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, and, and I could begin to say, this is my assignment. And, it, and actually, it narrowed, it, in looking at it expansively, it narrowed it down to, to where I could put it into chunks that I could deal with. What are we going to do in Manhattan Beach? Well, I walked Every house in Manhattan Beach, I left a piece of literature on their doorstep. Uh, there's a little neighborhood of about 200 houses. I, I went there seven times and talked to people. Uh, w- what are we going to do in the South Bay? Well, we, we started planting churches in the South Bay. We started planting churches throughout California. And eventually, uh, we, we were in Mexico, but we ended up in Asia. And so I, I, th- I think we got to see the big picture. Otherwise, no matter how big we're thinking, you know, if we're, if we're thinking I want to be Joel Osteen with 40,000 people, that's way too small. Uh, the whole world is what we're being called to. Wow. Yeah, I think, you know, conversations like these help anchor me. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but sometimes – Sometimes I get paralyzed with what do I do next, you know, or, you know, whatever level I'm at. Um, and I don't know if you watch and ever feel like that, man, I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know, you know, where to go next. And um, we, ha- we have a tool here at Exponential that we want to, um, we want you guys to take. It's a, it's a it's an evaluation tool. I think I think it's at reproducingchurches.org. Um, 
backslash assessment. The reason why this is, you know what, I, I really love what's happening here at Exponential because uh, Exponential is a, a curator, it's an aggregator, a platform that will allow us to really be challenged by what we're doing as, so we want you to do this. You know, if you ever feel paralyzed or if you ever feel, you know, I don't know what to do next, we want you to go take the multiplication challenge. Reproducingchurches.org slash assessments. And the cool thing about this, you can, you can take this assessment and then you can use it as a leadership development tool. And what I mean by that is that you could take this assessment and then maybe you have your senior leadership team take it as well. And then as they take the assessment, then you can come back and build a plan from it to go through the assessment together to figure out where we currently are and then begin to ask clarifying questions in light of where you want to go. You know, hey, this is where we're at. What is it going to take to get here? What is it going to take to get here? And all of a sudden, you find yourself building out a, a plan uh, for, for the future. Ralph, there's, a, uh, there's something you told me a couple of years ago. Um, your church put together a, a 20 year plan. You remember telling me that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, Ralph, we, you, you remember telling me about uh, your 20 year plan yeah, for, uh, for Hope Chapel? Yeah, I sure do. I tell sure us do. In, in our, the remainder of our time, we have about seven minutes. Tell us about that. Well, you know, I, I tell us I'm, about that. I, I think, I think it'd be. Yeah, good. I, I'd like to, I, I, um, I always hear everybody talking about five-year plans, and I struggle and struggle with five-year plans. And uh, I, I used to bog down with one-year plans. And the problem with the one-year plan is you, you're, you're going in one direction, and then you get your staff together and your core team, and then, boom, you're off in another direction, and you're, not, you're inconsistent. And I, I had a friend who was an architect, and he, he was on our church board, and he was my personal disciple. And he hit me up with, uh, why don't you do 20-year planning? And it's like, if you, and, and it, was, it was in this context. If you can't do a five-year plan, do a 20-year plan. And it's like, what? A 20-year plan is much harder than a five-year plan. But no, it isn't. Because everybody knows where they want to be in 20 years. I, I want to be, I'm 75 years old. I want to be alive in 20 years. Um, I, I want to be doing this to some degree in 20 years. Uh, I want to be in a church that the members are going to show up at my funeral in 20 years. I, I know I want to live in this house in 20 years. I know 20 years is easy. But then what he said is, so lay out the 20 years for your church and then cut it in half. And you got, you know, a 10-year plan. It's pretty easy to, to, to cut the 20 in half, cut it again, and you got a five-year plan. And then lay out five years in a row. These are the stair steps uh, into the next five years. And, and what you have is the 20-year deal as the North Star, and then all of those first five years are going to uh, relate to one another while they relate to the end goal. And I, I think it, it, it just unlocked a door for me in terms of planning, made it really a lot easier to, to stay on track, uh, to be strategic rather than tactical. 
And I think that's really, really important. You know, um, you know, Ralph, I know you do a lot of, of coaching um, for something like that, because even though, you know, you say, hey, 20 years is easy. I'm just going to be I'm going to speak on behalf of all all of us who are watching you right now. For some of us, 20, that is not easy. I mean, we're in the middle of COVID. I don't even know what I'm doing 24 hours from now, let alone 20 years. And so I, I want to ask you, um, how cool would it be to do a, I don't know, a half day with you via Zoom? How cool would it be? Uh, and I think this is ultimately pretty powerful because what if every single one of us took the multiplication challenge, again, reproducingchurches.org um, slash assessment. How cool would it be to take the assessment and then our team takes the assessment and then we spend some time with you, Ralph, like helping us unpack maybe how to lay out a 20-year plan that really came out of a day on the Practical Multiplication Show by, you know, filling out this assessment. I don't know, maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm more, I'm too aspirational, but I, I think that would be a good thing if you'd be willing to do that. Sorry to put you on the spot in front of all of Exponential, but. Uh, I, would, <laughs> I, I would love to do that. And then, and then but, but I want to come back and say, you introducing the word aspirational, because the 20 year deal is aspirational. Uh, the the right. one, two, three, four, five years is practical. And, uh, you know, if I was a pastor today and say I'm pastoring 200 people, then, then 20 years from now, I'd like there to be 500 year, people in church. 20 years from now, I'd like that we have planted 10 churches. See, those are the kind of 20-year goals that, that you set out. Uh, in some ways, they're a shot in the dark. Uh, but the, again, they become the, the North Star that you guide by. But by the way, you know, if, if, if the powers that be, they're, they're listening to what you just said, would like to put together a, like a half day webinar or something. I would love to be a part of that. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. Let me recap what Ralph just said. Let me recap what Ralph just said, and then we'll end uh, today. Um, listen, y'all, um, when it comes to level five, we as leaders, I think we have to be aspirational. I think that's what I just heard Ralph said. And then we have to work backwards to get the practical. Um, and one of the most practical things you can do right now, I'm going to reiterate it, go to reproducingchurches.org slash assessment. Take the assessment. Find out where you are. I I've heard it said like this. You can't conquer what you don't confront, and you can't confront what you don't identify. We are super thankful that you spent, spent an hour with us. I don't count it lightly. Uh, that you spent your time with us. And we at Exponential, uh, Ralph and I, we just want to say thank you so much. If you like today's conversation, I want you to come back next week, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to have another conversation around the three dimensions of multiplication. And we're going to hone in on what Ralph said today, uh, considering the idea of mobilization, right? In light of multiplication, one of the key principles is mobilization of our, of our people. So we're going to talk about that. I'd invite you to, to, to bring your team. Have you use this as an opportunity to, to bring your team. This is a great leadership development tool that you're getting for free. So, hey, listen, thank you for joining Practical Multiplication. Ralph, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. 
And uh, we'll see you next week, Tuesday. Go get the assessment, download it, do it. We'll see you next week.